Thank you for tuning in to the Maximum Advisor podcast. If you're a growth-minded financial advisor looking to grow and scale your practice, you're in the right place. Your host, Chip Munn, brings tips and best practices based on his experiences and has guests from financial advisors to industry experts sharing wisdom with one another because we're better together. And now, Chip Munn. Welcome back to Maximum Advisor. I'm your host, Chip Munn, and today I'm joined by Jay Coulter. Jay is the host of the Resilient Advisor podcast and an industry consultant with Resilient Wealth. Jay, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chip. Great to be here. Absolutely. Well, Jay, for those who aren't familiar, yeah, I've listened to your podcast for a long time, so it's, it's awesome for me to get to, to talk with you, having done that. Tell us a little bit about your story for those who don't, yeah, who hadn't been lucky enough to stumble upon you yet. Well, it's always humbling when somebody says they've been listening, Chip, so I really do appreciate it. The Resilient Advisor podcast started about three and a half years ago, just after I started coaching financial advisors. And what I found is it provided a great platform to share some of the stories and conversations that I'm having with advisors to a wider audience. And then just like you're experiencing with your podcast, Chip, it gives you the opportunity to interview some industry thought leaders to help share best practices across the community. Absolutely. Now, you you mentioned coaching financial advisors and doing coaching and consulting, but you came from the business in a different way. You, you haven't always been, you're not somebody who read a book and became a coach. How'd you get started in the business and how'd you find your way to becoming the host of Resilient Advisor? Yeah, so I'll make a long story short. So I am 46 years old. So when I got started in the business in the mid 90s, you started out in a bullpen. It looked a lot like the bullpen you see in the movies where there were 50 young folks banging out phone calls, cold calling, selling preferred stocks and municipal bonds. I was with the old shop Dean Witter as they were being acquired by Morgan Stanley. I eventually washed out of that bullpen like most 23-year-olds back then. Found myself at a company called Lehman Brothers where I spent most of my career on the asset management side. Lehman obviously had its untimely demise worked for a couple of other asset managers, and started this coaching practice about four years ago. That's awesome. Now, one of the things that you did kind of in between that I found fascinating was you started a, a different podcast. Your, your entree into podcasting didn't start with Resilient Advisor. You started a, a different podcast, and I think that it's a, a charity, Conquer Worry. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And there's some backstory to that. So my first podcast is called Conquer Worry. And that was born out of a book that I wrote called Conquer Worry that was born out of a personal experience that I had. So when Lehman Brothers went down in 2008, I was a fairly young man. And quite frankly, I had a lot of my personal self-worth wrapped up in that role. I went to work, gosh, probably 60, 70 days later with the, for a European insurance company because I thought I could ride out the rest of the financial crisis with a big European insurance company, and then they went out of business. So I've been laid off twice by two companies looking at spreadsheets as they were going out of business. And at the same time, my second child was born about 10 weeks early. So a two-and-a-half-month-old little girl who is perfectly healthy now, but she fit in the palm of my hand. Chip, she weighed less than two pounds. 
And as any traditional American male, man, I just powered through all three of those crises. I didn't let anybody know what was going on because I was the type A, hard-charging, hard-working American male. But what I came to find out, Chip, is I wasn't okay. I had a facade that I was putting on for the rest of the world, and it was killing me inside. What I found, and if I could indulge in this story, because I, I do think it's germane to what we're talking Absolutely, about. Absolutely, for sure. So I found myself in a spot where I was experiencing a lot of physical pain. I was having trouble standing up straight. It hurt to do things that I used to do with great ease. I was sleeping too much or not sleeping at all. I find myself having cocktails on a Tuesday or Wednesday, which I never did before. And eventually, the, the physical pain became to be too much. My wife, who's a nurse, made me go to the doctor. And I think I'd probably been to the doctor twice in my life before, but I went. And Chip, I sat down with the doctor. He asked what was going on. We had a, a longer version of the conversation you and I just had. And I told him that I was about to die and I needed to know why. And he said, Jay, we're going to do a bunch of blood workup. It's probably going to come back negative, And then we need to talk about you struggling with depression. I got up off the table with all the arrogance in the world. Chip, if you can imagine, I put my finger in his face and in the third person said, Jay Coulter doesn't get depression, walked out of his office without paying or checking out. I came there for him to tell me why I was dying, not that I was depressed like a kid in high school who can't get a date. Amen. Luckily, luckily, I'm a research nerd and I, I went to the library and I started doing research and sure enough, man, I was a textbook case someone struggling with depression as a result of situational anxiety. I still, like a typical American male, I kept it all to myself. I kept it inside. My wife knew about my struggle, but I started doing research on what went wrong, what I could do to get better. And it took me, quite frankly, several years to get better, but I did. But what I found, because I kept it all to myself, what I was struggling with, because I'd done the research and I knew the statistics, Chip, one in four people struggle with either anxiety or depression. And the American Psychological Association tells us that 72% of Americans struggle with the psychological effects of anxiety and 78% struggle with the physical effects. Chip, I could start to identify my friends who were struggling. I could identify coworkers who were struggling, but because of the world we lived in just 10 years ago, you didn't actually say anything. So what I found over time is I found some of my friends losing those battles to depression and anxiety. And my coworkers, I saw a lot of alcoholism, drug abuse, spousal abuse, careers getting ruined because they weren't taking care of the problem. So what I decided to do is that it was just time to tell my story, to make sure that I let people know that there are ways to get better and you can go get help. So we wrote the book and then I, I launched a podcast. And with the podcast, what I found is we were able to reach people all over the world by interviewing subject matter experts, I never presented myself as the expert, but my wife and I would interview folks from over the world to tell their stories and their strategies for getting better. Well, I, and so a couple of uh, episodes uh, ago, uh, Alan Moore from the XYPN Network was on, and, and we, we dove a little bit into uh, this, and, and when uh, yeah, I heard or read your story, it was just something that I feel like we don't talk about enough. Ironically, today at lunch, my partners and I had the discussion about self-care. I've got one partner who's really, you know, yoga is his thing and he, he does a lot of it for mental clarity. And so we had a, a conversation about self-care, but I don't think that it's something that, that as a, you mentioned the great American male in this industry, 
male or female, we don't talk about it en- uh, enough. And I think there's a, a stigma that it's a weakness, kind of like you, you said when you were going to the, to the doctor and, and the idea. So one of the things that you did after, so as part of kind of Conquer Worry and, and coming through that was you founded the Resilient Advisor. And so I'm curious for you, when you say resilient, what's resilience mean to you? Yes. So to answer your question specifically, it's having the skill sets available to make it through, you know, different chapters in your life. And specifically for an advisor, they have so many pressures in their life today, whether they're dealing with industry pressures, fee compression, compliance, you know, do you move from a warehouse to an independent space, the coming bear market, unless of course you don't think there's ever going to be another bear market client expectations. There are more pressures on financial advisors and attorneys, I believe, than any other industry. So when I started coaching, I thought, well, I could probably leverage some of my experience with Conquer Worry, uh, the systems that I teach as it relates to managing stress, but also the podcast to build the coaching business. And to be clear, the coaching business is a business coaching business, but included in those conversations after we've spoken about building out a client experience system, a robust wealth management story and process with rules-based portfolios, a marketing system, we ended up having conversations about people struggling. And so that's why uh, my book, The Resilient Advisor, is essentially my first book, Conquer Worry, the systems, that, the research systems that I found from the fields of positive psychology, emotional intelligence, and physiological science, put in a business wrapper. So that that financial advisor that is struggling can read it knowing that it's a business process and not some flaky mental health book. Well, having read it in studying up for our time together, it was interesting to me that, you know, about half the book is really these tools, real practical, I guess is the way that I'd put it, tools and techniques that honestly, for those who aren't comfortable having this conversation in public, you can do it in private. You can read about these, these things and really digest it from a business kind of perspective. And so that was one of the things that really captivated me is just my interest in, I'm a big believer that we're our product. And so if we don't take care of ourselves, none of the rest of the trains kind of run on time. And so what would you consider to be kind of some of the causes of stress? And how does that play out in the day-to-day life of the advisors that you talk to? Well, so I think there's really two ways I could answer that. There are business stresses and then personal stresses that everybody has. So from the business perspective, I find advisors tend to be overwhelmed if they don't have a very clear client service system in place. And the way you know if you have a system in place is if you can very easily tell me your next three touch points with your fifth, seventh, and ninth largest clients, well, then you know your system is buttoned up. You never go home at night thinking, man, did I take care of everybody? And that'll also help you to have a level of comfort when the next bear market comes, comes to fruition. Also, from a business perspective, most advisors, they don't really have a great story. They don't know what they're selling because it's been so long since they took the time to articulate what they do. Typically, if I ask an advisor, and we, if I start an engagement with an advisor and we go through a role play and I say, hey, tell me about your value proposition as though I'm the client and I'm asking you this question. Okay, so what are you going to do for me? And if your answer is, well, we're going to ask you about your goals and we're going to take a risk profile, you're no different than every other advisor out there. 
And the competent advisors know that. They just need to go through the process of building that story. And Chip, I like to say, if you don't have that story in place and you don't think you're taking care of your clients, you would have to be a sociopath to go out and generate new business to bring them into a system that you don't feel like you're taking care of your clients. So from a business perspective, those are the key drivers of anxiety, along with some of the things we mentioned earlier around making sure you're compliant and making, you know, and concerns about whether you're on the right platform, et cetera. From a personal perspective, I believe that stress comes from not having a daily routine designed to best suit your mental health. No question. I think that that is a big issue for a lot of the advisors that I talk to. I found it interesting you mentioned a stressor being not having a story. Would that be because you know, we're all faced with new potential? I mean, the name of the game in uh, wealth management is business development. You have to be able to go out and turn a stranger into a prospect and a prospect into a client. Am I right in assuming, I mean, is that where you're coming from with the story that you have to be comfortable that if somebody, because it'd be stressful, I guess, if, if somebody asked you, what do you do? How do you do it? Who do you do it for? That pause of not knowing what to say, is that where the stress comes in that you're referring to? Yeah. So there are two components to that particular stressor, in my opinion. The first, if you've been in the business more than a cup of coffee, you started your career cold calling folks, you were building stock portfolios, you were trading for commission. Gosh, when you think about what we used to charge for commissions now, boy, it almost makes your skin crawl. And then the industry pushed us into these mutual funds. It started out with B-share mutual funds and then C-share mutual funds. Then we evolved into packaged products and there were UITs out there for advisors. And then the SMA craze that started at the beginning of the century. And then these UMA models. And so an advisor's book of business is very, very fragmented where there's all these different portfolios and all these different strategies for different clients and there's no continuity. That is such a stress when you think about all the different securities that you have to keep eyes on. It's overwhelming. We weren't built to manage that much. So making sure you clean up that whole process into a branded process and story. Here's the corny example I use, and I use it so that no advisor in the country uses it. Let's say your process is called the SWAN process, where SWAN is an acronym for sleep well at night. And that's your client-facing story and process where you walk them through your SWAN process. Yet behind the scenes, every client is going into some type of portfolio structure that is process-driven and scalable. That alone relieves a tremendous amount of stress for financial advisors. Well, one of the things that you said that spoke to me was we're only built to manage a certain number of things. I've been reading a book recently by Richard Koch, or Coach, K-O-C-H, by Richard Koch that is the 80-20 rule, the Pareto, and, and he talks about how the Pareto principle is applicable to all of those kinds of things. And part of it is shrinking everything. I mean, not just your, your business life, but how uh, trying to find more with fewer rather than you know, more with more is really important. How do we manage all those things? You, you talked about a system. I know that you have a kind of a system that you teach. How do you suggest that advisors deal with all these different things that they have going on, both personally and professionally? Because I, I think a lot of the things that we're talking about, not having adequate help or systems are equally applicable at both places in our life. Yeah. All right. So let's answer that 
first from the business perspective, go and make sure that you research a streamlined process for your client experience and get it in place. It doesn't matter what you use. You could use the Resilient Advisors process, Pareto systems. If you talk about the Pareto system, Duncan McPherson has a great process. The Supernova process is great. It doesn't matter as long as you have a process. Then get into your book of business, clean it up and build your wealth management story, why you're different and make it branded. That alone you will find incredibly freeing because you'll be able to get more hours back into your day because your client experience is systems driven and you have a story that you like and you're proud to go out and tell, more importantly. On the personal side, I'm an advocate for something that I call the protocol system. My first podcast, the Conquer Worry podcast, it, it was such a great experience because I was able to connect with folks that otherwise would not have connected with me. So, Shamiqua Holdsclaw was the number one draft pick in the WNBA NBA draft in the late 90s. In fact, there was talk about her actually going into the NBA draft. She was such a good college athlete. Well, she ended up in an unfortunate situation where she would, she, her career ended early due to a mental health issue. Turned out she struggled with bipolar. And today, she's one of the mental health industry's biggest advocates. She came on the podcast. We talked about her process for everything. But my key takeaway from her is she said, Jay, every day I do these three things. And she listed them. And she said, you know, I call it my protocol system. If I don't do my protocols, my day doesn't go well. And I was in the process at the time of writing my book, Conquer Worry, where I had these systems, which are really 36 researched ideas from the fields of emotional intelligence, positive psychology, and physiological science, like I mentioned earlier, that I encourage folks to pick one or two that work for them. Maybe get up to three, four, or five and do them every single day. So, you, you mentioned 36. That's a lot. So, uh, am I understanding correctly then that the point is to give people a lot of choices? You know, because the best, the best process is one you'll actually do right? I think that's kind of what I heard you saying with all those different kind of the business systems. So, can you share with us what a few of those, you can, if you can handle all 36, go right ahead, but curious to know what some of the things are. Yeah. So, I'll share with you what I do and some best practices. Okay. The 36 ideas are in there by design to give a menu of choices to kind of test and see what works for you. Quite frankly, most of them don't work for me. I just tried them as I was going through the process of improving my mental health and my ability to manage through stressful situations. But for me today, it's mandatory that I exercise every day. I make sure that I have what I call a nutrient bomb, which is a smoothie, juice, or vegetable-dense salad. I also try to spend 30 minutes a day by myself doing what I call business journaling. This isn't journaling about my feelings. It's deliberately taking 30 minutes and trying to brainstorm a solution to a problem that I have. The science behind that is it gets the brain thinking about solving your problem without the outside distractions. You're able to solve your problems a lot quicker. I also try and spend 30 minutes a day listening to something inspirational or motivational, which that's very easy to multitask while working out. And the last one is my favorite. I actually taught myself and I finally learned how to meditate. So I had tried that for years and I just thought it was utter nonsense. And then very fortuitously, I heard two things. Number one, Arnold Schwarzenegger in 1976 when he won Mr. Olympia was practicing transcendental meditation for a full year and credits that 
for winning Mr. Olympia. And then Tim Ferriss, who has the number one podcast on iTunes. I was listening to one of his, of his episodes and he said, meditation to me is 19 minutes of me kicking my own tail and then one minute of peace. So I said, all right, I'm going to try this just one more time. And I downloaded the Headspace app, which I highly recommend. They have a, a 10-day free trial. And after the ninth day, Chip, I said, boy, this is great. I've only got to waste my time for one more day. At the end of the 10th day, when it was over, I felt this stress come out of the back of my shoulders. And I thought that was amazing. And the research shows that you have to do it consistently over a period of time to get the benefits. And one of my mentors, Ray Dalio, who runs Bridgewater, the largest hedge fund in the world, he meditates sometimes twice a day for 20 minutes. So with all these successful people doing it, I made a commitment to do it. And now that is one, besides exercise, so I guess it's my number two driver for managing stressful situations. Well, it's interesting. Last night, my wife and I, one of the things that we do is we, well, first off, in, in the last few weeks, we started meditating every morning before work. So we do it first thing kind of after the kids have gone to school. And, uh, you know, it's something that she got into long before me, but I've finally kind of come around just really based on all the things that we're talking about, just being stressed out between getting the kids to school or getting them to finals and having to come in and do client work and, and those kinds of things. You just get to a place where you kind of run ragged. And so one of the things, and you use Headspace, we use Insight Timer, also free. I mean, there are plenty of uh, Calm, I think is another one, lots of apps out there. But we started doing eight or 10 minutes, just depending on the day. I may try to get to 20. But we, last night, we were watching a, a Netflix documentary on the importance of meditation for treating PTSD in soldiers and children. And I'll get, uh, we'll, we'll leave the name of that in the show notes. I don't recall the name of it right off. But it was unbelievable, the changes in people that they, because they go in and they can show you the brain waves and those kinds of things. It's unbelievable the difference that it can make just to sit and be quiet. Mm-hmm. What was the hardest thing for you, Jay, when you, you know, I don't imagine you went straight to 20 minutes meditation every day. What was the hardest thing for you in kind of beginning to work on and learn that practice? It would easily be the first 10 days because I did not enjoy the first nine days after I finally had a breakthrough. And I want to be clear, I'm not perfect with it. There are times I get off track and then I notice my stress levels going up and that's one of the drivers. You know, I, I call it the, most, the second most impactful thing. Really, exercise to me is the most impactful. And the hardest thing I find in coaching people through this process, it's, it's not officially part of my practice, but if I'm working with an advisor on their business systems and they're struggling with stress, we can't help but talk about managing through stressful situations and putting a process in place. And I always start with exercise because the science tells us that once you get up to 20 minutes of exercise, that is more powerful than taking any pill a doctor can prescribe to you. But Chip, the hardest thing is getting started. And to me, you know, one of my biggest success stories for folks that have been in a bad place and getting out of it was this woman who's a, a branch manager that had been moved into a financial advisory role six months after losing her husband to a two and a half year battle with cancer. You talk about someone that was in a bad place. And so we had decided just to choose one protocol to start the process. And the first one should always be exercise. And we thought five minutes walking around the block. At the end of the first week, I checked in with her. She wasn't able to do it. So we had to create a different process. So she had a treadmill in her room 
And our goal was for her when she woke up to get on the treadmill for 60 seconds. And that's what she did the first week. Six months later, she was running 5Ks. So it all starts with the smallest amount of exercise you can, but you have to exercise if you're struggling with your stress. Well, and again, kind of going back to the processes, the the best exercise is one you'll do, you know, and and I think that a lot of that gets into, and and we won't go into the neuroscience of building habits, but I think there's a a lot to be said for that because what it sounds to me like you did with her is she began to have a habit of getting on the treadmill. After that, it was just what's next or how long am I going to do it? But building that habit, just what's the first step that you're willing to take, I think is a, is a big part of that. Now, you've obviously studied a lot in terms of you know, psychology and those kinds of things. With the business journaling, one of the things that I've heard somewhere, and I'm curious if, if it's applicable, is uh, even if you put a, your brain can't help but solve problems and answer questions. If you give it the right question, it's going to eventually, it has to find an answer. It keeps working on it, even in the subconscious. And I've, I've heard that as it applied to before you go to sleep, almost posing yourself a question. Is that kind of the way that you do journaling? Is it always a specific question or how was that process like for you? Yeah, I've never had luck thinking about something before I went to sleep and having it somehow help me overnight. But actually, I got the idea of the business journaling from the late Earl Nightingale. Now, he died in 1987. He's the grandfather of motivational speaking, tons of great free content on YouTube. And in there, he talked about the idea of he'd actually spend an hour with a cup of coffee and this is going way back, a sheet of paper, and trying to solve his problems for an hour every day. And he made the argument that if you did that five days a week, you'd have a tremendous amount of brain power applied to your problems every single year. So my experience has been if I, because I've got a lot of problems, (laughs) if I just focus on one for a short window, I'm actually able to come up with some ideas. And I, I don't every day, but it really helps focus in on the most pressing problems and trying to find some solutions without the noise and distraction. Do you use pen and paper? Do you use, do you have a, a, a document that you use as a running list? What's the process? Yeah, so I use OneNote and I keep a running journal of it. And that's been an awesome experience because I started doing it back in 2012 and I've got a, a OneNote journal for each of the years and I can go back and see what I was thinking in 2013, 14, 15 and Boy, I had some crazy ideas back then, and I'm sure in the future I'll look back at 2019 and think I had some really dumb ideas, but it's really fun to be able to go back and see where my head was looking at different business ideas and opportunities. Well, and then talking about stressors and and overcoming obstacles and problems, I would think, and, and I haven't done it now for seven years, but I would think one of the things I could see people getting out of it as a practice is looking back and seeing the things that were a really big deal at the time and how you overcame them. I think sometimes we can get stuck in our own heads and in our current problems, but I would have to think that being able to reflect back on those journals gives you a, a very tangible way to go back and, and look at things that, that weren't going good at the time, but that you overcame. Absolutely. Yep. So last question in terms of uh, kind of the, the implementation, I have to know, and I don't know that you can rattle it off, but maybe you could tell us where to find it. What is a nutrient bomb I mean, what is, what is that? Yeah. So let me clarify. So I call it business journaling instead of journaling because my audience is financial advisors. For sure. 
I didn't want to call it juice, eat a smoothie and a salad because I thought that would get a little bit of resistance. But if I called it a nutrient bomb, I get a lot more buy-in and some of the toughest clients I've had completely buy into it. And I think some of it is around how it's named. Sure. I, I would have to, I can see how you want to make it palatable, but ultimately uh, you want to take in healthy fruits and vegetables. That's a simple way to do it. Exercise, get some of these thoughts out of your head. You know, I heard somebody say one time that my mind is like a dark alley. It's not somewhere I need to stay very long by myself. You know, these things, they seem individually fairly simple, but putting them together and actually doing them, I would think that can be the tough part. What do you suggest for advisors in terms of implementation? Because I, I can imagine, you know, my pushback on some of these things would be, well, Jay, I only have so many hours in the day. You know, here we are talking about me being stressed out about work or stressed at home. How is it that I'm going to make 30 minutes? And, and I'm sure that you don't re- recommend that people necessarily jump directly into full implementation the, the entire period of time that you do. But how do you suggest that people, I can just see time management being a thing that folks would have a hard time finding time to do all these things. Yeah. So it's, Definitely some pushback that I receive, but what I have found is that pragmatic, rational people that are going through a lot of stress, you really just have to be a little bit firm with them to get them to see the light. And the reality is if you can't find 20 minutes to exercise, you're never going to get better and your world is going to fall apart. Get up earlier, walk around the block, do whatever you have to do just to execute one protocol, one thing that's good for you. And what you will find is when you build that habit of doing one thing that's good for you, you'll start doing a second thing that's good for you. And then if you continue, then maybe you're doing a third thing. So once you get to the place that you've gotten past that window, I actually task them. So my CRM of choice is Wealthbox. And in there, I have my protocols in there and I'm checking them off as they get done. And if they don't get done, it's okay. They show up again the next day and you keep doing it. Well, and I would imagine you can almost like in your practice, you can have a ratio that, you know, I've known people who say, you know, with the CRM, when you mentioned that, it it reminded me that we want to be at at least 80% of the things that we had tasked to do in a given week or or month to make sure that we're we're making progress. And I imagine uh, at some point, that'd be the kind of thing that you could do with these personal goals as well. You could. And and to circle back to, to the tough love, sometimes when people are in a really bad place, that's what they need. Like if you have a loved one that's really, really struggling, just stay on them to get that five-minute walk in, that 10-minute walk, because that's when it starts to starts the snowball of getting better. But nothing will happen if they don't make the time to do something for themselves. Well, and in my experience, that's been the important part of over the years, having coaches, is having somebody to be, because as advisors, again, in the independent space, in, in my case, if you own the business or you're running the practice, you don't necessarily have anybody else to be accountable to. And so it's easy to make excuses for how and why you aren't doing things. And so I think that's one of the the benefits to having somebody like you to be able to help keep up with some of these things with us. Well, I really appreciate that softball question. Yes, having a coach can be really impactful, but I got to tell you, there's something else that could help as well. If you're an independent advisor, I feel that those tend to be the advisors that struggle a little more than other advisors. And that's because they're not in the natural human habitat of having people around them. And having people around with your colleagues can be really impactful. And I tell you, Chip, 
I've seen over the years, independent advisors join aggregators, whatever the terms are today, to have a community of, of advisors that are like-minded and their business explodes because they no longer feel like they're on an island. You had mentioned Alan Moore earlier in the podcast. I actually am a member of the XY Planning Network. I don't work with any retail clients, but I do have an RIA. And I went to their conference last summer and those guys have done a fantastic job of creating a community, you know, similar to what you've done in your side of your organizations that just help empower advisors to grow. Yeah, I'm a big believer that people are meant to be in community. Nobody's supposed to do life alone. I mean, I mean that goes back to the beginning of whatever spiritual text you might want to read. This is the Bible. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. Man's not meant to be alone. And I think that's definitely true. And, and it can easily feel like you're on an island and, and communities are important. And, and not feeling that, to your point, is something that just enhances that isolation can enhance all these other issues that, that we've been talking about. So, Jay, one last question. We're an action-oriented podcast. I find it important to be able to, I want our listeners to be able to have something that they can do every time we do an episode. So, from your standpoint, if, if an advisor wanted to become or begin the process of becoming more resilient, what would you suggest as a first step? What's one thing they could do today to, to get better? So let me offer your listeners a complimentary copy of my ebook. You can go to resilientadvisor.com. That's resilientadvisor.com. Download the book and in there, go through the 36 protocols in the back of the book and find the one that you feel could have, A, that you will do, and that you feel could have an impact on your personal ability to manage stress. I'm hoping it's exercise first, if not meditation, but go through the list and figure out what could have the highest impact and start doing it on a regular basis. I think that's a fantastic idea. Just starting one thing. And so I will commit to doing that. Uh, One of the things, and you mentioned our community, we started a a small and, and growing Facebook group just for the purposes of being able to discuss things like this. So I'm going to go into the Facebook group today and I I will, I've read the book, but I will follow that advice. And so I'll post that into the Facebook group for anybody who's listening. If you want to, I'd encourage you join me there. You just search maximum advisor in Facebook. And I think that you have to request to join, but that's a simple process. Uh, Really the, the only requirement of joining is that you're actually a financial advisor because that's the, that's the point. But I'll commit to jumping in there today and, uh, and adding my one thing. I hope that you'll join me in there and post yours. I think it's a good thing to be able to talk about. And this is something I'm, again, particularly passionate about because I really think that all of us out there are working hard. We're in a job that has a tremendous amount of things that we can't control. And so I think, uh, Jay, you nailed it as far as having these handful of things that you kind of curate and select for yourself, that these are the things I can control every day. And I'm really grateful for you coming on and and for sharing those things. Jay, if any of our listeners wanted to connect with you, just kind of catch up if they have a question, what's the easiest way for them to, to connect with you? You can find out information about the Resilient Advisor Program on my website, and that's jaycoulter.com, J-A-Y-C-O-U-L-T-E-R.com, or you can send me an email, jay, J-A-Y, at jaycoulter.com. I'm also uh, pretty active on social media, 
You can find me on LinkedIn, SJ Coulter, Twitter, SJ Coulter, Instagram, SJ Coulter, and on Facebook at Resilient Advisor. Well, they say that variety is the spice of life, but that is not the case when it comes to your social media handles. And so I, I can tell that you file your own advice in terms of having a, a marketing protocol and keep it simple for people. And uh, yeah, if, if you're listening, I encourage you to download the book. I, I really enjoyed it and am, am going to follow that. I also encourage you to check Jay out on the Resilient Advisor podcast. Uh, that's how we met. I really enjoy it. Jay, it's, it's a, a great program and uh, I encourage everybody to check it out. And if uh, you have anything that we can be of help of, you can reach out to me in the Facebook group. I'm always uh, available, happy to talk about these things. I just don't think that we do it enough. I think that's incredibly important. And I think, honestly, who better to support one another than another group or a group of financial advisors supporting one another? Because Nobody can understand some of the things that we deal with better than us. So, Jay, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And so we'll be back at you, folks, in a couple of weeks. And we look forward to talking to you again soon. To download what we believe is the single most important marketing, selling, and positioning tool for your practice, go to MaximumAdvisor.com slash scorecard now. Subscribe to this show anywhere you listen to podcasts or at MaximumAdvisor.com.